This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. How many days of vacation do you get? Or how many hours or how many weeks of vacation do you get? Well, it may surprise you to learn that other people are getting more. Kuwait, for example, an oil-rich country, they get 43 days of paid leave. That means if they're working a five-hour week, they're getting at least eight weeks of vacation every year. Cambodia, which we consider to be a very poor country, don't we? They get 42 days off. Georgia, the country, not the state, gets 39. Austria gets 38. Get on down to number 14 is France. And according to the World Atlas, in France they get 36 days off. Now if that's a five-day work week, that's uh, seven weeks and one extra day. Iceland gets 36. Spain gets 36. Where's the United States in all this? Let's see. There's Russia. They get 32 days a year. Estonia get 31. Oman gets 31. And they're number 55. Where's the United States in all this? Well, I don't know. I only got 55 countries. But if you look it up separately, in the United States, the average number of paid holidays, the average number of days off per year is 10. Well, if they were working a five-day week, that would be two weeks. Another way of putting it on the Internet, it says the number of vacation days granted each year may vary by length of service. The first year, people in America don't get any days off. In 2019, more than one-third of workers received 10 to 14 days of paid vacation after their first year of service. After 10 years of service, it says one-third of the workers received between 15 and 19 days of vacation. In other words, it's just off the scale. Americans don't get much time off. I got really interested in this in a book I read. It was written about 1991. I guess I read it about 1992. It's called The Overworked American by Juliet be sure, S-C-H-O-R. She just did a study of who worked the longest, and she found not only do other countries get more time off than they do in America, but that it's getting worse. She says in the last 20 years, the amount of times Americans have spent at their jobs has risen steadily. Each year the change is small, amounting to about nine hours in 20 years, nine more hours of work in 20 years. Another fascinating thing in this Juliet Shore book is that the idea of shorter working hours was very popular. At one time, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was for it, and the Senate actually passed it. The bill was by a senator named Hugo Black, and they actually passed it in the Senate. It 
If it had also passed in the House and been signed by the President, Americans would have started working a 30-hour week instead of whatever they were working then. Now, you could go back in history, the whole history of work, and do uh, a, a complete history just on how many hours people worked. Because when you think about it, when people were just living out in the woods and trying to hunt for a rabbit or something, or pick up pecans to live, they spent all day and pretty much all night doing it. When they were slaves, they worked all the time, as much as uh, all their waking hours. Surfed works worked nearly all of the time. And when we got to the industrialized world, which occurred about the middle or the last part of the 17th century, when uh, the world began to industrialize, they worked from dawn to dusk, about 14 hours. And the fight for lower working hours was on. And it went on all the time. There was, there was a a point at one time in which Massachusetts had a law that said that you could not work less than 12 hours a day. One of the greatest stories in world labor history is the fight for the eight-hour day. And this fight was led in the United States. It was led in Chicago. On May the 1st of 1886, the workers of the world tried to have simultaneous strikes all over the world including in Texas, for an eight-hour day. They had a song, and the chorus of the song was eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will. And that's three times eight is 24. Eight hours for work, eight hours to rest, eight hours to do anything we want. But in November of 1887, after a scandalous show trial, the leaders of the eight-hour day movement were hanged. And so the eight-hour day movement did not happen in 1886. However, within a few decades, some workers began to get a 10-hour day. Some workers began to get an eight-hour day, mostly government employees. Government unions have nearly always been stronger than unions out in the private sector because they don't usually kill the government workers when they try to get better uh, uh, conditions and better, uh, better pay. But out in the private sector, up to the 1930s, they certainly did kill the workers who tried to organize and tried to get a shorter period of work. It's absolutely true that the United States almost got a 30-day work week when the, when the Depression was really, really bad. When we had 25% unemployment, somebody got out a pencil and paper and said, look, if we didn't have everybody working 40 hours or longer, then there would be more work to spread around, and we could get some of these unemployed people hired. So the rule was that they were going to shorten the working hours without cutting anybody's pay. And that was the, the solution to unemployment. 
that the Roosevelt administration had for a short while under a bill by Mr. Hugo Black. In 1938, they passed something that we usually celebrate. We usually say that we won the eight-hour day in 1938, although it's not quite true. What they passed in 1938 was called the Fair Labor Standards Act. And it cleared the Supreme Court where Hugo Black was no longer a senator. He was now a, uh, a justice of the Supreme Court. So, the, so Hugo, we can thank Hugo Black for trying to shorten our hours. The Fair Labor Standards Act, though, did not require an eight-hour day. It did not require a 40-hour week. It simply said that if American workers work more than 40 hours in one week, then they have to be paid time and a half overtime. Now, some people were made an exception. Agricultural workers were made an exception. Uh, I think uh, people in food service were made an exception. They also didn't get the minimum wage, which was also in the Fair Labor Standards Act. So some people were, were accepted from this. So it didn't work for everybody, but it did go into, into law in general. And in general, people who worked more than 40 hours in a single week got time and a half overtime. Some people did better than that. In the factory where I was working before I retired, for example, we got overtime pay anytime we worked more than eight hours in a single day. Now, that's not the law. That's not the Fair Labor Standards Act. We got that because we wanted in a contract fight. We also got double time for Sundays. We got time and a half for Saturdays and double time for Sundays because we wanted in a contract fight. We also got triple time for holidays. So if somebody worked Christmas, they got triple time for that day. You worked eight hours on Christmas, you got paid for 24 hours. So you've got a few things. People who had good unions and good union contracts got even better than what the Fair Labor Standards Act gave us. But don't forget that the Fair Labor Standards Act did not mandate an eight-hour day. It did not mandate a 40-hour week. It simply said that people had to pay a time and a half if they pay if they worked more than 40 hours. And of course, employers are forever breaking that law and having to be uh, sued or, or uh, prosecuted in order to make them live up to the law. But, but we did win that in, uh, in 1938 in the Fair Labor Standards Act. We put an end to child labor or most, most child labor. They still worked child, children in uh, agriculture. But in most the factory work, for example, they no longer employed children after that period. You may have heard this song by Stevie Wonder where he says, his father works some days for 14 hours and you can bet he barely makes a dollar. His mother goes to scrub the floors for many and you best believe she hardly gets a penny. Living just enough, just enough for the city.
So people worked a lot more than eight hours, a lot more than 40 hours a week. And the employers, to a large extent, got away with it. Now this is a very timely ta time to be talking about shorter working hours. In fact, just on September the 7th, 2021, there was a long article in the Washington Post talking about how the nature of work is changing because of the pandemic. With people working from home, with service industry workers uh, losing their jobs, not coming back, uh, people, more people are quitting their jobs than ever before. And some businesses are now experimenting with four-day work weeks. Well, a four-day work week's nothing new in my local union. We've had a four-day work week for in one of our contracts for a long time. And the people who, who, who do the four-day work week like it. But it's still 40 hours because they work 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day, four days a week, 40 hours. If they work any more than that, they get overtime, time and a half. There is in Congress right now a bill by Representative Mark Takano, a Democrat from California. He has introduced legislation to make a 32-hour work week standard. What this would do, if we got it, is end unemployment. If we shortened the working hours every time people were unemployed, we would, we would no longer have unemployment. Samuel Gompers, who was a trade union leader from the 19th century well into the 20th century, I think he died in San Antonio in 1926. Samuel Gompers said, so long as one person is unemployed, the hours of work are too long. And that's right. And you would think that everybody would be ready to fight for, early, for shorter working hours with no cut in pay. Could the bosses do it? Sure they could. Because an average worker working an average hour an hour can be shown with very solid statistics to be producing a lot more wealth than an average worker used to produce in an hour. In fact, I can show you figures on productivity since 1947 that show that an average worker in the United States makes five times as much wealth in an hour as he or she did back in 1947. And in 1947, they were doing pretty good in the United States. Back in those days, they had some strong unions and those unions used to have a slogan called 30 for 40 with no cut in pay. Meaning, instead of a 40-hour work week at a certain amount of pay, everybody should only work a 30-hour work week at the same amount of pay. In other words, the same amount of pay that they made in 40 hours. 30 for 40 with no cut in pay was a slogan of most unions of the CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organizations, before they joined with the AFL, American Federation of Labor. So the Congress of Industrial Organizations, these were 
very progressive, very strong, very virile, very organizing unions that were organizing a lot of people. And one of their main slogans was 30 for 40 with no cut in pay. Now here's an enigma for you. Here's a puzzle. Why did they drop that? Why did they stop having that great slogan, 30 for 40, but no cut in pay? I have no idea. But in my own union, the United Auto Workers, I know that that was an important resolution in every convention that they had up to 1957, and it never appeared again. 30 for 40 with no cut in pay. I don't think there's a dozen union people alive today that even know that there was such a slogan. It doesn't appear anywhere that I know of. Every contract that I read or every contract fight that I hear about or that I help with, they don't say anything about shortening working hours. But if they had shortened working hours, if they had kept the demand and kept on fighting for shorter working hours, the unions would not have lost so many members because it would be the unions who are fighting for uh, shorter hours who would have been able to hire more people and there would have been more people in the unions. So instead of losing members for the whole period from 1947 to 1995, we lost members drastically. Instead of losing members, we would have gained members if we had shortened their working hours. And would productivity have been hurt? Well, there are some studies today of people who have tried shortening working hours and their productivity tended to go up. The reason it goes up is because the working people feel better. They're getting more rest. They're able to think more clearly. And also, they don't mind innovation. If you work in a factory today, you should be scared of innovation. The bosses love innovation. And it's the very, it's the very essence of capitalism to innovate, not only with new equipment, but also just the, with the way things are done. The hours that people work, the way that they operate their machinery, uh, the way they, uh, the shift times and the hours that they work. All these things can be changed to raise productivity. And what happens when productivity goes up, people get laid off. And that's what's been happening in America all this time while we didn't fight for shorter working hours. So I, for one, am delighted that there is now a bill in Congress to shorten the working hours. I think everybody should get behind it. I think there should be a big push for shortening the working hours and everyone should see the relationship between increased productivity and shorter working hours. Shorter working hours in the long run is the only way to solve unemployment. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.